Hey, Gabe. Um, on this week's episode, uh, we're once again talking about me. Yeah. Um, I will say that we've got uh, some future episodes lined up that are not as much about me, so I'm excited about that. It won't be as much of a confessional podcast. We're really talking about Gabe's problem. Um, but this week is about my problem. Gabe, if you want this to be a podcast about your problem, you should just say it instead of every time we start planning for a next episode, it just ends up being about well, you. I'm saying it's, it's already that. Like, this is what we're doing. It's just that we're going to break out of our form. Okay. And we're really going to surprise people by bringing something else to the table. Okay. Than me being just this horrible liar. I'll take your word for it. So, uh, this week's episode concerns Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. I've never read Moby Dick. Um, shame on you. Yeah, I mean, not. I mean, lots of people haven't written, haven't read it. It's a big novel, but it is like an American classic. Really, like undisputed, maybe like one of you know often listed among the greatest novels of all time. Sure. Uh, As someone who has read Moby Dick, yeah, I can, I can. You can attest to that. I can attest to that. Sure. Bit. And everyone I know along the way in my long life, whenever they've gotten around to reading it, they do nothing but crow about. What a great novel it is. It's amazing. Can you believe that this thing exists? Yeah, but this is just because you hang out with a bunch of, like, uh, overeducated East Coast elites. I mean, you haven't read Moby Dick, so what? What's the big deal? Why does that matter? Well, it matters to me in a couple of ways, and I'll get to that. Part of that is that that is my milieu, so it does kind of matter. It also matters in terms of, like, a formative uh, sort of era in my identity that did revolve around American literature, um, which not everyone needs to, you know, doesn't need to be their personality, but it does happen to be mine. And I feel like I sort of, like, definitely um, coasted a little bit on faking a knowledge of Moby Dick. Maybe not so much specifically. I don't have, like, a ground zero for that where I really was like oh yeah I've read the whole novel and I know all of it mm-hmm. but I think that along you know, through the years I, I accreted more and more information about interesting sections and what happens in the novel and just why it's so great also I read a bunch of other Melville I don't know why I didn't just go read this novel well I mean I can look I Moby Dick was not the first Melville I read because mm-hmm. it's scary it's really big yeah it's about a scary thing a whale yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot of pressure around it. Well, let me, let me just start with like three short stories. One, the other day I stumbled across a list of quote, books people lie about having read. This of course appealed to me. This is the point of what we're doing here. Uh, on the list were lots of books that people used to read in school. And I think that that's maybe much of the reason why people lie about having read them. To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, The Scarlet Letter. Uh, the only one that I hadn't read was The Grapes of Wrath, actually. You, you sent me that list. There was, I think there was two I hadn't read. I don't remember what one of them was, but yeah. one of them was The Diary of Anne Frank. I have not read The Diary of Anne Frank. Shame on you. But um, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I read it. But it was interesting because, of course, Moby Dick was not on this list because it's not actually reasonable to expect that everyone should have read this book. And that also I think that people don't lie about it because they're like, no, I haven't read that giant book that like seems like it might be boring it was written 150 years ago yeah um but somehow i'm i've always been pretty confident um that i could get away with just saying that i basically knew it mm-hmm. uh and then you know kind of anyway uh so i never read any, actually any steinbeck except for travels with charlie which oh. is his uh, memoir about traveling with his dog i mean is it really necessary i mean we don't need to talk about this but like i mean, someone give a shit if you haven't read 
Steinbeck? I don't know. I don't think so. Not, I've read a not, bunch not of these days. I've read like The Grapes of Wrath, and I've read like East of Eden, and I read like a lot of the shorter stuff, like Tortilla Flat and Of Mice and Men. Read it? Is it good? It's fine. It's fine. I <laughs> <laughs> praise. So, and second, second story. This past weekend, during the crossword, I came across uh, the clue quote likened to a quote mute maimed sea lion. Four letters. Immediately, I knew it was Ahab. Of oh, course. I was going to say Gabe. Oh, That's thanks. <laughs> thanks. That was pretty good. That was that zing. Uh, the last anecdote is that uh, I have a small son. Uh, he has a picture book that is of Moby Dick with mm-hmm. no. It has one word per page, and so it's like sailor, and then like mm-hmm. hunt, mm-hmm. and then leg, mm-hmm. peg leg, and then whale, and on and on. Um, so he actually might know more about this book than I do. Do you feel as though you've been superseded by your by your son? Well, sure, it's early for that, but I do feel like it's already started. Um, yeah, I thought there would be a few more years before that really, really took took shape, but I feel like he's already just you know running on ahead. You've got to, I mean, you've got to put up a fight in the Oedipal struggle, Gabe. You can't just well, cede immediately. That's, that's why we're here because I'm going <laughs> to read this several hundred page novel, and he can suck it. Yeah. Um, so those are my like three little stories, but I think to go back to sort of my biography and why this really matters is that. Um, during a time in my early 20s, uh, I did go to grad school. I got a master's degree in English literature, and I focused on American literature. And that was when I actually read most of those Melville novels that um, I do know. And like, so The Confidence Man is actually one of my favorite novels. Maybe not one of the fam- most famous ones, but it's you know it's really great. And I loved it. And this also gives like me no reason why I wouldn't just go on when I had a free moment read Moby Dick. I had tons of time for reading and was an avid reader when I was you know a uh, younger younger person. Um, also though, I have distinct memories of being in grad school and everyone had read Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that wasn't your experience, but it was definitely my experience, particularly in the English, like American lit, um, concentration. And it was embarrassing to not have read that novel because everyone was sort of like, well, they, cause it, people go back to it all the time. They talk about it constantly. It's this kind of ur text. Yeah. I mean, like, look, having been through grad school too and, and and more of it i can tell you that some of those people have not read moby dick well sure i mean this gets to something that you know more about than i do which is a sort of academic uh tendency yeah. to sort of skate by and not feel like you really ever need to read anything it's because... not that you don't feel like you need to it's not that you feel like you don't need to read everything it's the idea that like you have a better sense of how much there is to have not read mm. than other people. And of yeah. course, the things that you haven't read exert more of a sort of psychic pressure on you than, you know, maybe other people because it's bound up with your professional life and right. your and all of that. Well, in any case, I mean, definitely at the time and actually ever since, it's always felt like a gap that meant that I was not actually as adept as I thought I was at being a reader, being a critic, you know, understanding literature, having strong opinions or wild opinions about American literature. Um, it felt like a, a really glaring omission. And there's tons of 19th century American novels that I have not read and 20th century American novels that I have not read. But the late 19th century was kind of my wheelhouse. And that's mm-hmm. what I was trying to, for a minute, following that, I thought I wanted to be, get a PhD. And that was what, all about what I was going to do. I was going to study... 
Henry James, Melville, like the whole late 19th century in America, in, you know, and sort of tying together. I had, had this idea I wanted to talk about like publish, publishing um, and like economics, like what the economics of publishing, like how much money authors made and how it determined their lives and what they wrote about. Well, as someone who did study late 19th century American literature and did do that all the way through, you dodged a bullet. Was it, but do you think that's, will you validate that that was like a pretty good idea for like a course of study? No. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, well, never mind. I was about to tell you the book that it sounds like to me, but oh, I just, <laughs> was it written between now and Yeah, now? actually, you could have, you could have written it. It could have been me. Although it's a, the, the book I'm thinking of is really good. You probably wouldn't have done as good of a job. No offense. Yes. You would have written a different book. Sure. <laughs> or not, in, which is actually the case. Um, so anyways, but um, this is so this is also about like your path not taken. Yeah, oh that's true too. And I think that like along the way since then, um, I haven't obviously read with as much intensity, but I've read widely and mm-hmm. I'm like an avid reader. I love reading. Um, but for some reason I never and, and I do like having these kind of feathers in my cap as I think has been obvious in all these episodes, yeah. which is why I lie about stuff. Yeah. Just sort of like fib or push the truth. Mm-hmm. Um and like, you know, uh, definitely at that time I was such a snob. I would like definitely brag about talk about Henry James like all the times. I'd read a lot of Henry James. You know, he's like notoriously difficult, but I would like so that was all sort of bragging. It was like all like pissing contest stuff. And so definitely like it's interesting because it's the kind of thing that I always really disliked when it came to music. Mm-hmm. I was never that kind of a like. Well, I've heard this most obscure thing, and you probably have never even heard of that artist or mm-hmm. record or whatever or it's so rare or whatever nothing's rare anymore but with literature i was never i'm sorry with literature i was way more about that mm-hmm. you know i wanted to be part of that argument that conversation and kind of like right not dominate just be part of the argument but that's like the reverse right because yeah. like it's not like the most obscure thing right you're you're talking about the most famous things right um and the most famous things you know just because this is the way things shake out like yeah. They, especially in that era, they can they can be difficult, right? Yeah, but anyway, during that time, the conversations were a lot more with grad students, fellow grad students, and other people who were like involved in in, in academic study. Since then, my life has kept me in touch with people like that, like you, for example, um, uh, my wife, um, and many others. But also, there's lots of people in my life who are not they didn't pursue advanced degrees. They don't have any interest in literature other than just being interested in reading and, and novels and such. Um, however, I've, it's always like stayed with me, you know, like things will come up and I'm sure that on numerous occasions, Melville's come up in conversation or somebody's like, Oh, that's like this, this passage in Moby Dick or in another novel. Mm-hmm. And I'll either change the subject from Moby Dick to another Melville novel that I know more about yeah. or just talk in generalities yeah. to sort of like, you know, prove my, well, there's like a way that like, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, but like when you get, when you have a certain kind of, um, when you have a degree, when you have an advanced degree, people who don't just kind of like automatically assume you kind of know what you're talking about yeah. when you mention something like that. Yeah. And there's a way in which if you had been like, no, I didn't read Moby Dick. It didn't seem necessary. Right. I think that for sometimes for other people, their reaction is like, oh, like he must sort of know something about sort of history of American literature that makes it 
so that you- so his his decision not to read Moby Dick is in some way informed by some theory of what uh, it means to. I, I've always definitely felt a very visceral opposite sense that being like, well, you know, years ago I got I got an MA in English Lit and I studied American Lit, but um, and then and then the next sentence being, but I never read Moby Dick, almost like takes people are like, well, wait, what kind of degree is that? Yeah, what sort of a what you just told me this thing that I thought was impressive, but now you've told me that you're kind of an idiot. Yeah. Um, that's always how it's felt to me. Uh, and that's why I think I've kind of, you know, uh, held the truth back. Well, it's time. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think what's going to be interesting this time is it's not so much me like giving something a chance and being like, why did I reject this thing? It's going to be more like this book's obviously going to be amazing. Yeah. And I think that what I'm going to want to talk about when we reconvene is like the difference between how you can conceive of yeah, just sort of looking back, like how I can sort of conceive of like, what was I, what was I thinking? Why would I even like try to pretend to have read this like extremely complex, you know, not, not extremely complex, but like long and it's complicated and, and complicated book that is extremely rewarding and has just like a lot going on. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah, I know that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, his writing is always funny. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited for that too. I'm excited to just like kind of have this, uh, I'm not necessarily excited to like have it like as like a chip to play, but um, yeah, because no one cares. Like no, it's course. it's too late. Like, no, but I am kind of interested in, at least in analyzing a little bit next week, next time we meet. Um, like, how bad do I feel now about having lied about having read this book? Yeah, or just having kind of like on one to ten scale of one to ten, how bad do you feel now? Well, now that, now that we're solving it, it's like it's really it's lessened in the in the past since we decided to do this episode. Uh-huh. But um, still pretty bad. Like mm-hmm. still like kind of like I'm really excited to get this in me. And it's like it's going to absolve all of your past crimes. It's like they never happened. No, it will only exacerbate them and remind me of like how many years I lived, just sort of kind of fibbing to people that I knew more than I did. That's like the lesson that I've learned so far in this podcast is that like it only makes things worse yeah it doesn't make things any better it's a great project we're doing yeah, I'm really excited. yeah we can just the last episode will be us digging each other's graves yeah. and lying down in them yeah it'll just be like a Beckett, a Beckett yeah. screenplay exactly who yeah <laughs> future episode alright so when we reconvene Gabe will have read the American classic Moby Dick by Herman Melville. And I promise I will not do any kind of pirate voices. I don't think that that really they're, comes up. They're not pirates. Yeah, see, I mean, now, <laughs> I mean, we're really getting into it. It shows the depths of my... This is probably how the conversation... They're whalers, I Gabe. I wasn't aware of it. I would just do the pirate thing. People would be like, this moron has never read that. <laughs> All right, uh, well, see you, uh, see you next time, listeners, and I will be a better man for it. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Gabe, we're back. Oh, my God. I have had quite an experience over a couple of weeks, three weeks, Would maybe you say four you, weeks. you had a, a voyage in which you pursued um, the very depth, an intimidating I've, and mysterious, very large. I've circumnavigated the experience thing. that we're talking about. There's a large thing that I've consumed what maybe has consumed me and from the boat of your brain you launched a harpoon into moby dick indeed and and did it destroy you or did you like ishmael escape 
with your life barely well as any reader can tell you i did feel like the only human to have escaped this leviathan all right, we can't keep doing this. Really? No. Because the novel does this <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and my favorite part, uh, which I'll just digress on for a second, is like at the very beginning, so I'm not ruining anything for those of you who haven't read Moby Dick, although that's not the point. Uh, spoilers. But is like there's this uh, sermon at a church yeah. uh, for for sailors. And the, the minister, um, all of his analogies, all of his metaphors are nautical. Mm-hmm. And it's like, open your books as we open the hatches. It's not that, but well, it's something like that. he's playing to his audience. Yeah, now. exactly. And this is something that uh, uh, Christine, uh, you may know from previous episodes, said, like, was like, well, yeah, like, you know, a minister who's in, like, coal mining country would talk about coal mining as their potential metaphor, because that's what people understand. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. But the You're whole, not an idiot. You no, just don't know anything about whaling. I'm much smarter now, too, because I've read Moby Dick. Right. So you are you contain all of the knowledge that Moby Dick contains. It's a lot of knowledge. There's so much in the book. There's so much. It's... All right. So let's start talking about it. So the thing that I experienced reading this novel, and in particular finishing it, was a new kind of shame. <gasps> and that's what this podcast is all about. Deep shame. As deep as the ocean. I'm very excited that we've discovered a new kind of shame. The, I didn't think it was possible. The, I thought at this point in humanity, we've seen it all. Sure, but like I've I've avoided reading this novel for a really long time. And a lot of my identity is wrapped up in like having read novels that are like really important and really intense. Not every novel, not all literature for all time. Gabe, every book is important. Every book is important, but a lot of people aver that this is the most important novel. Well, like, I don't know about important. Case I I would say it's one of the best. It certainly is one of the best that I've ever read. Maybe the best that I've ever read. I also just finished it tonight, so mm-hmm. it's definitely the best that I've read in the last year. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's but, the last. It's the last good book you've read. Well, I, the, so the new kind of shame is like, what could have possibly motivated me to like not do this thing? Part of it is like, yes, it's like a six hundred page. Well, novel. I want to stop and look at your your phrasing. Right, what could have motivated motivated me to not do this you're talking about it as though you're not reading it was a kind of active resistance to reading it and that's very revealing i would like to explore that. as we've discussed before i went through a right after college i went straight to grad school uh because i didn't know what else to do with my life and i was sort of coddled and i came from a family of some academics i went to grad school got a master's degree totally Useless except for my soul, which it's great for. Um, But I also focused on American literature and did not read Moby Dick. Having been like an English major in college, having gone for a master's degree in American literature. We've we've gone over this. Right. Uh, You also are like well-learned in American literature. You have read Moby Dick. Yeah. Because it's kind of central to that as part of your identity. Well, that's true. Although, you know, I read it. Or just as part of like the, like. I did read it late, you know. I like read it over a winter break, I think, uh, during grad school. I think I was like, oh, I've got to. I think I was like, okay, I had just finished something. Then I had to start something else. And I was like, I've got a, a week or two. I have enough time to digest Moby Dick. Sure. Well, I had two years of grad school in which to feel like I should really read Moby Dick, even though it's not a sign for any of my classes. And then I've had a lifetime since then to be like, well, if this is something that is important to you, which that experience actually was and literature actually is, you should probably read Moby Dick because it's like, like largely agreed to be the best novel in 
English, the English language. If we're by gonna, many people. If, if we're going to be normative like that, then sure. If we have to make that list, right. then it's we'll at get the top. into the we'll <laughs> get into the canon stuff later. But like, I just mean that like this is the kind of novel that, for my own uh, sense of self, I should have read. Can we put it this way? It's up your fucking alley, man. Yeah, it's definitely up my alley. We'll get to that too. That's also part of this new kind of shame. Um, and maybe I'll just get to it now. Like, there's a few things I want to enumerate. The book is obviously great in many, many ways, but I want to isolate some of the ways in which it resonates with me personally. Um, one, which is maybe not the first thing that people say about the novel, but it's definitely the first thing for me is like, it's so Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean that as like, it's a grand drama. I mean that like, he like, and I know this, like, the scholars know this. I don't know this, but like people know this is that he was like newly engaged with Shakespeare, literally like yeah. personally and the novel itself. Like there's, there's long stretches where you're like, is this a Shakespearean scene? People speak in the sort of not quite like Shakespeare, but like the rhythms are the same. And also there's like a fool and there's a king and it's, it's, they, they speak in a way that reflects both their sort of position in society, but also in a way that's enriched and elevated by Melville's own sort of knowledge and his sort of writerly persona. Right. And he's bringing Shakespeare, which I love, to like nascent America, which I also am obsessed with. These two things together, why didn't I? Like, and I read a bunch of Melville, not a bunch, I read some Melville, and I really liked it. Like, The Confidence Man, as I think I've said in the intro to this, was, like, one of my favorite novels. It's always been one of my favorite novels. I haven't read all of his novels, but, like, he's great. I read Pierre. Pierre is insane. Pierre is insane. It was written after this, I think? Yeah. It's the novel that came directly after this, after he knew he had failed in this endeavor. Yeah. Although, although, you know, people call it a failure, but Moby Dick went through many, many printings in in Melville's lifetime. But he thought it was a failure, which is maybe... I mean, that's part of the myth, is, like, he didn't have the... And he got bad reviews. Some of the reviews are sort of spectacularly bad. Um, and he wasn't wasn't really acknowledged as part of the American canon until like the 20s or something. Yeah, the Melville boom happened in the 20s. That was when <laughs> Billy Budd was discovered. Ah. Uh, and then all of Melville's work underwent this, uh, this great reappraisal. Wait, I'm curious. It was discovered? Like it was a story that he had written that was never published? I don't it know was this. never published. Oh, it was never finished and it was never published. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so... Um, Someone, I don't, I don't know how I don't I don't know enough about Melville to talk about the how it was discovered. Yeah, but it was discovered, edited. There's these two guys. Uh, I want to say one of them's. I don't remember the two guys who who are the, the main Melville guys, um, but they edited it, published it, mm-hmm. and it led to this, uh, you know, this sort of rediscovery, reappraisal of Melville, um, the, known as the Melville Boom, where he gets reintegrated into. The American canon. If you read, you know, um, I was talking about this with someone years ago. Uh, we were uh, talking about Henry James and mm-hmm. we were uh, talking about his criticism. And he was like, yeah, if you go, he's like, James read everyone and yeah. wrote about everyone. Yeah. And if you go. He wrote a book, he wrote a book about Hawthorne. Yeah. Go yeah. on. Sorry. But if you go to like the index and James's collected critical writings. And look for Melville. There's one mention. And then when you look at what it is, it's like in the middle of a list of a bunch of writers, huh. like just kind of noting that he exists. Yeah. So, And that was his reputation. He's gone. It's this interesting thing. There's guys like Melville uh, and like Edward Taylor, right? Edward Taylor, who wrote, writes these amazing sonnets in the I forget, late 17th, early 18th century. Um, 
that he's forgotten until someone discovers his work yeah. sometime in the 20th century yeah. in the Beinecke Library. And this guy becomes an, a, major, a major part of the story of American poetry, except that no one knew he existed for most of the existence of American literature. Yeah, it's insane. Like, just in reading some of the materials, like, around, I, mean, I read the introduction, but I read a couple of other things, and I also went through Christine's notes from grad school very meticulously. <laughs> wow. Which are great. I won't quote anything I'm impressed here. that she has notes that she saved about movies. She's a very good note taker. Um, but basically, that like, that it does sort of disappear. Even if it had some, like, sort of staying power in its moment, it disappears for, you know, 60 years. Um, which is crazy, but also not that crazy because it's so experimental, which is another reason why I love it. It's another on my list of, like, shameful things. Like, why didn't I read this novel? It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, it does, like, it goes through, like, a sort of encyclopedic passage where he's talking about the different kinds of whales it has uh dramatic elements not you know not necessarily directly tied to the shakespeare but like literally like stage directions um there's also like it's experimental insofar as like you have a narrator but like he can't possibly have experienced all the things that are happening because the novel is so huge that it like encompasses everything yeah um but also like issues like, you know, like themes in the themes in the novel, like race in mid 19th century and mm -hmm. like American identity, mobility in America and like how it's coming out of this kind of uh, even though the founders are great uh, democratic idealists, it's also a kind of um, aristocracy. And then you get to like the mid 19th century or the early 19th century. And that's kind of like evaporating. Mm -hmm. And there's also like this kind of push pull between do we like basically go to sort of a monarchy, monarchistic, like, uh, uh, I, um, you know, where Ahab is basically like the dictator yeah. versus like any other alternatives. Yeah. Um, and like the metaphors are pretty like, if you don't see them, like you should, you should try harder. Well, I don't know. I mean, the thing about them is that, and I was thinking about this because I'm teaching or I just finished teaching and just finished grading papers on Benito Serino. Uh-huh. Um, which... Talk about that a little bit. Well, it's... Um, yeah, it's great. It's this story that's based on um, uh, this travelogue by this guy named Amasa Delano. And he... In his uh, travelogue, there's this story about how he happens upon this kind of like foundering ship and the vibe is very weird um, there are some slaves aboard. Um, there are slaves aboard and then it's a slave ship. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, but everyone on the, on, in the crew is acting very odd. And then, so what ha what happens, right. And then he's like, Oh, I'll bring you fish and I'll bring you water. You guys are like running low and there. They tell the sob story. And then it turns out that what was actually going on that Delano discovers and that almost leads to his demise is that there had been a slave revolt on board the ship. And so when he... It was like a hostage situation. So right? when he discovered the ship, right. the slaves um, make all of the white crewmen act as though everything's normal. Right. And they're just trying to get him off the ship, trying to get him to, into a position where they can either get rid of him or kill him and board his ship and take his things and sail back to Africa. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could talk it's about. It's like the off context. the coast of South America. That yeah, yeah. how it all happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, you know, I've read this story, I don't know how many times. Um, and I've taught it a few times. Um, 
And the thing that always occurs to me is that he moves so fast that his style and the movements of his style are so elusive um, that if you pause and think about any one sentence, you can think about it forever. Yeah. Um, because he has a way of kind of like tagging these sort of large ideas with these incredibly poetic sort of and funny and witty uh, uh, turns of phrase and with all this wordplay. Yeah. So, you know, when you say like, oh, well, if you don't sort of stop and look at the metaphors, then you're then like you really should. It's like, well, but you could then also spend the next 20 years just reading this. You have to move. You have to go forward. And that's and that's one of the to me, one of the great tensions in Melville's style is that it's so propulsive, especially in Moby Dick, where it just kind of like it's so energetic and you're sort of moving forward. But you know that all of this stuff is rushing by you and yet it's pushing you forward to go that fast. Right. And there's a kind of fog around how it actually came to be. It was edited to some extent by like friends and by himself, but also like he clearly didn't take stuff out that was like meandering or uh, just sort of dead ends. Like he just keeps going. And that's like the novel that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's also kind of amazing. This like, it's also this like weird is this very weird 19th century American thing where like, it's sort of unformed. It's sort of, but it's also sort of has like just genius kind of like bubbling up out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like those are the things that like are obviously attractive to it. like Melville being, you know, a renegade, an experimenter, a weirdo, which is exactly like the 19th century is super fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and America in the 19th century, like doesn't know what it is just like it doesn't know it now. Yeah. But like, doesn't even have a myth really of what it is supposed to be it's like wrestling with a bunch of myths about like what it can be or can't be. Um, so, um, and I also like, you know, like I love like sort of devouring things that are canon, which is not that cool to say, but it is like kind of like as a, as like a person who likes literature, like I like being able to sort of, and this is also the shame. It's like, I like being able to sort of brag that I've read great works of literature. Where I can be like, yeah, I read the Ulysses. Yeah, okay. I read, yeah, I read Proust. <laughs> but like, I've been lying about. I've been like, uh, yeah, Mel, uh, yeah, Moby Dick is great. Like, yeah. you know, I don't, I can't. Again, I can't pinpoint like the cocktail conversation of me saying this. Yeah. But like, I definitely like avert, like averted any instance where I had to talk about it because it always felt like something I should have read. Yeah. Um, and that's shameful. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I do want to talk about is that I, I actually listened to this novel, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it. I read a bunch of it too, but I like listened to it like on an audiobook, and that was a very interesting experience. Just because like, um, you know, normally like um, I would read something, but I don't have a lot of time these days, and I haven't read such a big novel in such a long time. Yeah. And so listening to it was actually like the only way I could actually get through it mm-hmm. in, in some sort of practical sense. Um, but that was sort of an interesting experience too, because it was like the sort of melody of the language came through of it. And it also made me feel bad because it's just like, so like you experience the literature in a very different way when you listen to it. Yeah. And I'm sure like people, you know, like there's camps, right? Like you have to read something or you have to like, you have to read a novel, but you have to listen. Like, you know, like the, the crazy people who say you have to like listen to the Odyssey because it was like a story told by a fire by some weird Well, right, but you're reading it, presumably you're reading it in translation. Oh, Jesus, I mean. <laughs> yeah, like you should just read it. But like uh, the thing I was going to get to was like, 
it's more about the the time duration, right? Because like I always say this about novels is that novels take a long time. Yeah. They take a lot of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that really rivals them is like a really long TV show. <laughs> Yeah, which um, but that's, which which dwarfs them. If well, you think about, it, but if, it's passive. I mean, it, like you sit there and you let the you let the narrative sort of wash over you, or as reading as like you're actively doing something for however many twenty hours or whatever it is. I know. I mean, I kind of don't buy this distinction in some way because when you're reading something that you kind of don't really want to be reading, then it can feel like that you're actively. Feeling, but I often feel like if I'm reading something that I'm really enjoying, then. I'm just kind of going and it's sort of washing over me. There's this weird thing where when I'm on the train, I always feel like, uh, I'm always like, oh, I'll just let's do a podcast or yeah. music or whatever. Uh-huh. It feels like effort to read a book. But once I open a book, I find that the time on the train passes so much more quickly yeah. than it does if I'm listening to a podcast. And I'm part of that is because like I'm cutting, I'm like sort of my, my sight is no longer focusing on what train stop we're we're at or who's sitting around me or what they're doing you know and and i'm sure that affects it but i think that that there is something about that that has the same kind of ease if you're really absorbed in a in a book um that does sort of make time evaporate in the same way that uh, a tv show does well i think that listening to the audiobook was actually kind of the same way Mm -hmm. especially with this i mean it was just like after a while you're so immersed in it that you lose that 40 minutes and you're like, oh, I'm already here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so, so pleasurable. Anyway, um, I want to move on to another point, which is like that sort of the experience of this, the sort of shame of it, like led me to kind of think about a battle that uh, over sort of what kind of person I should be, which is sort of like what this is, what this sort of podcast is about. Like it's about sort of values, like what kind of person do you think you are? like based on the things that you've experienced or imbibed. Um, And there's like two experiences I want to talk about. The first happened when I was in my mid twenties and I was um, at the time I was writing a lot about music uh, and I was hanging out with a lot of musicians and music, music writers and promoters and people in the world of music. Mm And back when that was cool, back when that was cool, back when I knew a lot more about that. And I got into a conversation with somebody and this artist called man is the bastard came up. Are everyone's favorite. Everyone man is the bastard. Who doesn't know man is the bastard. I mean, listener, we'll let, please write in with your favorite man is the bastard. We'll, story. we'll make a playlist and we'll have a whole episode where we just talk about how great man is the bastard. Anyway, I didn't really know that much about this artist, except that I knew the name. And I think I'd probably seen a couple of CDs or albums or whatever, but I, I faked it. I did what I, what we talk about on this podcast. I was totally like, yeah, like that music's a little aggressive for me, but like, I, you know, it's pretty cool. And my interlocutor was like, what? Like, you don't, I don't believe you. I don't think you know this music. Like, what do you own this music? Have you listened to it a lot? I was like, nah, you know, like I've listened to a bit of it. Like I know it. I just start lying. Like I'm just lying. And then you know, maybe there's a lull in conversation and we move to another topic. And then another artist comes up equally sort of esoteric fetus, uh, the one of the non de plume of J.G. Thorwell, 
who I don't, I still don't even know that much about. I just know I, that. I don't know anything about I know any he's, of these I know bands. he's cool. I know he's cool. It's like, it's fine. It's, is he it's, cool? I think so. What does fetus sound like? It's it's like, I think it's like industrial I know that it's spelled with an O. I'm probably getting it wrong. Like, this is the thing. I don't know. You know what? I don't know. You know what I know about fetus? Is it's that, spelled like, with an O like a British people You used people to be do. like, buy their merch, like, if you like bought like an alternative press, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Back in the 90s. An AP. Yeah, an AP. Uh, I didn't want to confuse the Sure, listener. I understand. Um, if you bought an AP, like, back in the 90s, like, like in the back, you could, like, order, like, fetus gear. Or like something. a t-shirt or yeah, a Yeah, a t-shirt or a poster or, whatever, or something. Yeah. And they sold them in the head shops where you'd go to, like, buy your whatever your your pulp yeah, he's, a, he's a cult artist if i was if i was much cooler i would know all about him and I, I people say he's a genius whatever i knew a little bit more about him but even so almost nothing like i had maybe heard a couple songs and i was like and definitely neither of these artists are for me it's not my kind of thing but i st- i persisted i was like no no like i've heard this i've heard the, that music not that i knew it but like it's, it seems cool and this guy wouldn't let up he was like, you don't know shit about this. I can tell. Mm-hmm. And he just like wouldn't let it go. It was humiliating because it wasn't just me and him having a conversation. There were other people like moving in and out. And he was like, he has sights on me. Yeah. And I felt very exposed and very like, you know, got like I was got like. and uh, Yeah, but it's also like step back for a second and think about it. It's like this is the worst kind of sort of like, like uh, uh, mask, like macho bullying bullshit sure, sure. like he, he's being a dick that that's not part of it like his 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 journey is his journey um and that guy's totally fine but like uh i saw him a few months ago anyway oh, i'm glad you guys are still in touch yeah yeah it was <laughs> fine anyway but i was i was the person who was like playing some game that i wasn't happy with and I don't think that it ended my career in playing that game, but the second instance is one that I want to talk about, which is more recently, uh, maybe a year ago, where there was uh, an, uh, another sort of music person, a music writer, talking about at a party, and I I'd, I'd known who he was for many years. I know people who know him, but I'd never met him, mm-hmm. and so we meet. He doesn't know who I am, yeah. and he doesn't know anything about my, it's my like background. A fam- famous critic, yeah, and I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm a very unfamous or like anti-famous critic. Like I wrote some record reviews years ago, yeah. and I was like, that's what I did for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know who I am. Why would he? And he has no idea what my realm of knowledge is. And so he's talking about uh, something that's interested him for a while. I think it was prog rock, mm-hmm. which I'm not that interested in, but like it's fine. And he uh, starts explaining to me what prog rock is, where it lies in the realm of popular music. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I know. Like, I, I this I actually know. Like, mm-hmm. who, you know, many. He's giving you a story he's about giving me prog a sto- rock. He's giving me a story as though I'd never listened to popular music. Or it's, that we never like, watched the VH1 yeah, not like, 70s series. Yeah, not yeah. like I'm like some kind of, it's not in the vein of like, you don't know who Fetus is. It's like, it's more in the vein of like, have you ever heard of the Bee Gees? Well, they're a British band. Oh, actually, they're not from England, but yeah. you know, like, um, and anyway, he's he's talking about this, and I realize that I'm like not I'm I'm it's an effort a little bit, but I'm not doing the thing that I'm want to do, which is like yeah, I know, yeah. like yeah, I and and I felt like I had maybe matured somewhat, which is good because it was twenty years had elapsed between the two experiences. However, what I want to say about it is like. It was it was evocative to me of something where like I wasn't annoyed, I wasn't anything. I was more like 
being the person that I wanted to be. Uh-huh. Or you're just like, I'll just let this wash over me and it doesn't matter. Yeah, and like and then I can like maybe sort of gently like bring myself into the conversation. But the difference like, well, actually, is the like, difference the difference is is that like yeah, like you don't know that much about prog rock, but yeah, like I can learn. But like but also like you didn't the changes in you is that you, you don't feel compelled to lie is that the difference yeah it's not worth it like what what am i going to get out of it like i'm going to make this conversation move more swiftly to some end that like i may not be ready for because yeah. i don't know enough about prog rock to definitely like go toe to toe all with you have to do like, in, in a conversation like that is be like yes as close to the edge as the first and last word in <laughs> prog rock this conversation is over. I like the records that come before that, actually. But Fuck you know, off. Geez. anyways. Um, so maybe, maybe you do have something more to learn. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to ask me something though um, about okay. So this experience. all right. So my question, like, first of all, this has been a very weird conversation about Moby Dick. Has it? In that you're not really talking about moby dick anymore well i don't want to talk about it like i don't want to be like here's my take on moby Dick. no i know but, who cares well i think that's not i mean this seriously and not in a condescending way not in a like and not in a rah-rah way either but i think that you should think about what you think of the novel as important i don't think you should maybe like right now on mic like let loose with your like theory of moby dick right but i deal with this i i, I deal with this all the time when i talk to students and even when i talk to people because like look when you when i'm in that uncomfortable situation and at parties or whatever like adult social gatherings where i have to sort of talk about what i do yeah the easiest way to say what i do is just to say i'm a i'm a literature professor mm-hmm. without talking about any of the sort of like embarrassing and degrading aspects of being an adjunct professor of literature, right? And so when you just introduce yourself as a literature professor, people have all these kinds of things. And they, one of the things they'll do is, it's very funny, they'll, they'll bring up a book that they like mm-hmm. or an author that they like, mm-hmm. and they clearly like, really like this, right? Yeah. And then they'll immediately evince embarrassment or sort of, too much deference and be like, but I'm sure you, or like, maybe you don't, or, but what do you like, you know, maybe it's not good. I don't know. And I just want to be like, you know, just fucking own it. Like, well, yeah, you know, no, I mean, let to talk about it like a little bit in the abstract. And then I, I might, I mean, I, I can talk about specifics, but like in the abstract, like, yes, it's a little bit, um, a grieving, that I put so much stock in my own uh, ownership over things that I've actually have consumed and feel like I have mastery of and can talk about, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. um, Henry James, you mentioned earlier, it's Mm -hmm. like a famously impenetrable uh, Mm -hmm. and difficult author. And for years I got off on kind of bragging that like I'd written a master's thesis on Henry James. Like I no longer do that Mm -hmm. in the same asshole way because yeah. i'm no longer such an asshole yeah however like i'm not embarrassed that like i think about that stuff a lot and that i think it's really important so let's talk about this novel okay like so uh, what, my, what, so my question to you right is yeah. that like or like for your entire life as some as a literate person uh-huh. as a literary person yeah you've been dissembling your knowledge uh about Moby Dick. 
<laughs> well, yes. You've been, you've, My lack of knowledge, yes. Well, no, you've been pretending well, to have knowledge that yes. you didn't really have in whatever subtle way, whatever, yeah. right? And this has caused you some measure of pain, which is why we're talking about right. it, and guilt, et cetera, right? Um, and uh, I assume that in some way, like, the novel became something that was just too emotionally freighted to ever really deal with or pick up. It was just too much, right? Um, it was almost like if picking it up, in picking it up, you would then have to admit to yourself all the times you bullshitted your way through a conversation about it. Yeah, that's the whole, yeah. Yeah, reading it would be, an even opening to the first page is an admission of your own fraudulence. Yes. A feeling that we all strive to avoid. Which is, which that's that's like where we started. So like, my question, this is a whole new kind of so, so my, shame. So my question, yeah. my question is, having now done it, yeah. done the hard emotional work, which it took a, a, a making a podcast to get you to actually do <laughs> right uh, to read it to read it cover to cover yeah um, you know talk about the pleasures of reading it talk like there and there must have been what is the differential between the effort that it took to keep you from reading it yeah. and the permission that you gave yourself to actually read it and enjoy it yeah I mean it's been. It's been, I think, four weeks that I spent reading it because I don't have a lot of spare time. But um, they've been like unmitigated pleasure in a way that I haven't had in a really long time. And in part, that's like as a result of not having experienced this thing and having like dumb, like at a distance thoughts about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because like I if you would like quiz me if I was on if I was on like, you know if I was being interrogated and it was like, what's Moby Dick about? I'd be like, well, it's a metaphor. <laughs> like the whale is it's like, like the boats America man's. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have even said that. It would be like this, like man's challenge against like the world and like trying to like stake a claim on immortality via like a dominance of the earth, mm -hmm. which is sort of what it's about. But it's like, it's way weirder than that. And it's way more about America. And the weirdness and the being about America are two things that I've always been obsessed with. And also about like how in particular 19th century literature, but all literature to my mind in some way is about the time and the place in which it's written. But it's also about the time and the place in which it's read. Well, sure. This is why literature keeps <laughs> Now is a great time to read this novel, right? Yeah, because, I mean, I think so. Yeah, because it is about like, who are we? What are we going to define ourselves as or against? Um, you know, there are these, there are these various evocations of different kinds of Americanness in the novel. Ahab is one stripe, which is like that kind of dominate everything. And that will be your self-definition. Mm -hmm. Uh, others are, you know, there's also like, as I said before, there's like the kind of racial or multicultural element, which is obviously very much, uh, in Melville's heart, like, is extremely present in the novel. These these characters who are not white yeah. are so important. Yeah. So much more important than many of the white characters. Yeah. Um because like you you're on this ship, you're in the Pacific, but this is America on this ship. It's like a little piece of America. And it's funny because Melville like was on a, you know, a cruiser. He was part of the navy for a time. Mm -hmm. He was on other ships too. 
and the navy like a naval vessel is like a piece of america floating in the in the water right yeah whereas the whaling vessel isn't necessarily it's just kind of a ship going well to i mean whales. that's another way of thinking about it it's a, it's a, well but it's a he piece. talks about he says he's he says in so many words like this is america on the water well but it, also in the sense that it's like uh it's only able to be out there because it's been invested in by all of these people with money right and you know you're there you're floating out in the water and you are the representative the sort of like worldly manifestation of abstract capital well and this ship is like both american exceptionalism on the one hand and deep hubris on the other hand yes yeah. and that's also like what america is right now and always and always um, and like um, but it's also like whaling is the first, I didn't know this and before I read the novel is whaling is the first, uh, um, industry that America is number one in. Mm-hmm. And now we're number one in everything. Of course, of course. As, as we're told by our leader. Um, but seriously, it's crazy to think that like, there was a time when like the only thing that America was the best at was this weird thing, which was like the slaughter of intelligent mammals, slaughtering is it, whales. Is it really that? Well, we, Strange to think we about. did slaughter uh, two groups of amazingly intelligent mammals. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know how, how smart buffalo are, but like... There were also the humans. Oh, well, right. Those are the most intelligent, you could say. Jesus, man. I'm just saying. Really, like, no, no, not- you're right. I, I, yeah, I didn't... Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, yeah, and the whale... I mean, uh, yeah, I mean... The whaling is interesting to me because I grew up, I went to Mystic, Connecticut as a kid on like a school trip. Did you get Mystic Pizza? No, I don't think that's a real thing. What? I'm, only it's after the movie, I feel like. Episode six, thing. Mystic Pizza. Also, that might be false knowledge. I have no idea. Um, I didn't eat pizza there. I made lanyards that like, you know, the little uh-huh. like wristbands and we were like on a whaling ship. Um, but I had no idea that whaling was like the very first thing that Americans were number one at, which is it's crazy. It's such a weird endeavor. And also it's this very short span of time where whale oil is extremely precious. It's think only about, like, it's think, only like 15 or 20 years. I think. Think about if, um, uh, you know, like veins of oil, uh-huh. swam away from you and were sentient. Yeah. Like if in order to like run your cars and your house and like modern society, you had to chase and kill and it only, and only for like like fifteen or twenty years, and yeah. then something else like you know, I mean, literally oil. They were like, oh, we can just dig this out of the ground. What if today that like we discovered that you could make, um, you could make something that could run a combustion engine. <laughs> you could distill it from like um, French fries? otters fur. Oh, sorry, yeah, or not otters fur, but like no, from like a uh, from like great apes. Oh jeez! What would we do? We'd be fucked because yeah. there aren't a lot of them, and we'd have to just murder them all immediately. But we'd, we'd breed them. We've already first. murdered so many. Yeah. Okay, this um, conversation has gotten. We should probably wrap it up. I think so. Um, I have a lot to say about Moby Dick, but it's this is not the forum for me to like give. Well, I want to say, and this is about you saying things about Moby Dick that you will not say here because this is not the time or place. But I think that it's really important that once you do something like actually like doing the work, reading the thing, mm-hmm. whatever, that you then at that point, I hate that attitude where, uh, you know, people want to um, not claim ownership over their own thoughts about something because they're in some way embarrassed by them. Yeah. When 
I as a teacher, and now increasingly not just quote unquote as a teacher, but as a human. Yeah. Um, well, as a teacher, the thing that, that, that I'm most annoyed by is that very thing where I'm just like, you think something, just own it yeah. and tell me what it is. And actually, like, that is what learning is and that is what knowledge is. Like, well, I, I will say from my own perspective that that is actually like what was thrilling about reading the novel was like coming to the realization that like it's not just a book about whaling. He did write books about whaling and he sort of didn't like them that much mm-hmm. or he didn't like love them that much. And this is like not a novel about whaling. It's a novel about America heading toward catastrophe, mm-hmm. which was achieved. Um, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. And that is also why I I feel this like incredible energy having read this novel because I don't think that we're living in the most extreme or unique times ever. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're living in another version of extreme and unique times that have always existed, particularly for America. And bad times. And bad times. And there's something to be gotten out of this. I mean, you're not saying this, but this is what I want to say is that like this or maybe not finding Nemo, but like, like the music of Tom Waits, like there are these things that like you shouldn't feel afraid to experience, even if you don't think you're going to like them or even if you've been avoiding them forever. And then I think importantly, like, you know, having a fucking opinion, like having your own, like, like valuing your own reaction to something I think is really important. It's something that people do, I think, really infrequently, where, you know, and then sometimes when they do, they do it too much. But, you know, being thoughtful about your own reactions to something and then owning it. I don't know. I think that's really important. I think it's really valuable. Yeah. And I'm not like my my mission now is not to like be an evangelist for Moby Dick. Although, why not? But why not? And also like, but the thing that I will say maybe in in closing is like, everyone should read this novel. It's fucking awesome. It's really good. It's so good. it's funny and entertaining. It's funny and entertaining and it's not like a weird stodgy 19th century American that you can't comprehend. It's it's like, it's more modern than you think it is. Yeah. It's like, it's like talking to the most interesting person you've ever met for 400 pages. Yeah. And that was maybe the thing that like made me feel the worst was like, (laughs) I'd forgotten that I like loved Melville and loved a lot of these weird old writers because some of them feel like people that you would want to talk to. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Good talk, Gabe. Yeah. Good talk, Mark, as ever. All right. I love you. Love you too, Gabe. (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.